guys, what's going on, man? Welcome back to another wonderful Arsenio ZSL podcast. And for those of you who are watching this video, man, it is another TOEFL IBT reading edition. I did one on household pets. That one ended up going phenomenally well, right? We still got discussions and other, obviously, lectures to go about. And I still need to do a bunch of writing stuff. But today, man, is a little greasy one. Now, again, I'm not going to do all the questions. I'm going to give you guys the opportunity to go through and do the questions yourself. So what we have here is we have the reading on Anglo-Saxons. This is going to be a good one. This is going to be a little bit difficult. So this is why I'm going to do just the first five questions. Again, for those of you who are on my Patreon badge, you guys will get the full 10 questions. But it's about understanding context. And that's what we're going to be covering right here. So if we look at it again, we got seven paragraphs of this. Okay. Now in paragraph one, again, if we could break this down in its entirety, it's not asking us, okay, what is this passage about all that craziness that might come in the latter questions, but not in the former. So it says here that in paragraph one supports which of the following statements about the word Anglo-Saxon. So what I'm going to do, I'm actually going to come up and I'm going to read this out loud for all my folks who are listening to my podcast, okay? Now, again, this is especially for my folks on my podcast because obviously I get more views on my podcast or I'm sorry, more listens on my podcast than I do obviously YouTube, <laughs> YouTube and Facebook views. So what I'm going to do is recite this out loud. So again, I'll retort that because I might be going a little fast. Paragraph one supports which of the following statements about the word Anglo-Saxon? A, the word Anglo-Saxon derives from two words, meaning British German. B, the word Anglo-Saxon derives from the British term Saxon for invaders. C, the word Anglo-Saxon derives from the German word Saxon for the British. And D, the word or I'm sorry, or D. The word Anglo-Saxon derives from the Irish term Saxon for invaders. So now I'm going to go up and I'm going to read this out loud for all my wonderful folks out there. So number one, in the fifth century AD, British was being attacked by the Irish, Pict and Germanic people from the Southern Denmark and Germany, I'm sorry, from Southern Denmark and Germany. Okay, so they were being attacked. Okay, the sentence is weird. Nonetheless, let's keep going. These invaders were called Saxons. The term Anglo-Saxon was developed in the 8th century. It was going to distinguish between the British Anglo and the Germanic people Saxons. Okay? The Roman Brentino leaders defended the land as best they could, but the invaders eventually began to settle into Britain. Irish kingdoms settled in both west and north of the country. Meanwhile, the Angles, Saxons, and Jute tribes took over the east part of Britain. So let's go back down. Again, where does it come from? And what we have here, it says, the term Anglo-Saxon was developed in the 8th century. It was coined to distinguish between the British Anglo and the Germanic people, Saxons. So going back down, which of the following statements is about, obviously, supports what, where the word Anglo-Saxon came from? The word Anglo-Saxon derives from two words, meaning British German. That is your answer. B, derived from British term Saxon for invaders. No, 
It's not what it said. It is not what it stated in the sentence. Some of you get thrown off by that because some of you are like, but it said this, but it said that. You're overanalyzing. We're looking at the same sentence. It was coined. Okay, give me the explanation. There's no reason to look later or before because you got your entire explanation right there. Right? And see, it says German word Saxon for the British. Hell no. And Irish, it had nothing to do with the Irish. So this is how you break it down, people. Okay? In context. Now, let's go into number two. It says here, according to paragraph three, all of the following statements are true about the work of missionaries, except, so this is going to be a little bit of a fun one. Now, it says here, A, St. Nina was a Scottish missionary. So we're going to look for, obviously, St. Nina and see if we can confirm that. B, St. Patrick was an Irish missionary who converted the people of Northern Ireland. Okay, we got to look for St. Patrick. It, was he an Irish missionary and did he convert? C, St. Patrick may have been buried in country down in the fifth century. Let's look for a country down, proper noun, fifth century, has to coincide. And D, St. Columba established the Ionian Monastery. <laughs> well, that's completely out of context. But anyways, let's do this. I'm going to read it out loud for all my beautiful listeners. Here we go. Although the Christian church suffered greatly from the invasions, it survived in the areas of Roman Britain that were not invaded by the Anglo-Saxons. Two missionaries came out of that church. St. Nina from Scotland and St. Patrick. Nina founded a church at Withorn. Patrick is thought to have come from Wales, where he was captured by Irish raiders, not invaders, Irish raiders. Never heard of that. Having escaped home from slavery, he returned again to Ireland where he introduced Christianity to the Irish population. It is thought to have, I'm sorry, it is thought he was buried in County Down in the late 15th century. Okay, that's confirmed. St. Columba was a later missionary who founded Derry and Duro in Ireland. In 565 AD, he founded the monastery of Iona, confirmed, on an island west of the Isle of Mull in Scotland. So we have two confirmations, people, okay? St. Columba, confirmed. St. Patrick, confirmed. Now, St. Nina, Scottish missionary, if we go back up, it says here, St. Nina from Scotland. Now, some people will say, but it doesn't say missionary. Well, let's go to the next question. I'm sorry, the next potential answer. St. Patrick was an Irish missionary who converted people of Northern Ireland. Now, it says here, was he an Irish missionary? St. Nina from Scotland and St. Patrick. Okay, so we have to come right in here. Patrick is thought to have come from Wales. Okay, there it is. St. Patrick was an Irish missionary. Can an Irish missionary come from Wales? Negatory. He is thought to have come from Wales. So that information and the information I see here, it is contradictory. Therefore, the answer in regards to which is all, I'm sorry, all the following statements are true about the work of missionaries, except B, St. Patrick was an Irish missionary, negatory. He was a Welsh missionary who converted the people of Northern Ireland. Now, don't get thrown off because a lot of you probably said, oh, but Nina, St. Nina from Scotland. That means St. Patrick, uh, Patrick was from Scotland too. Doesn't matter. Scotland, 
or uh, Wells. It's still negatory. It's still a huge contradiction there. Got it, people? This is how you break down your information. Follow, just like, listen, for those of you who are listening to me, listen to me and just hear how I break this down. And for those of you who are actually watching me, this should be very, very beneficial for a lot of you out there, okay? Because this is how I walk myself through the process. That's it. So let's go into number three. Let's see what type of question we got here. Ooh, this one might be a little bit more difficult. Which of the following can be inferred from the paragraph three? about Christianity. A, Christianity disappeared from Britain after the invasions. B, Christianity did not survive in the areas not invaded by Anglo-Saxons. Okay. C, Christianity survived only in the areas not invaded by Anglo-Saxons, but moved to Iona in 565 AD. And D, Christianity survived only in the areas not invaded by Anglo-Saxons and are important, I'm sorry, and important missionaries came from those areas, okay? So here we go. Let's go into this. Paragraph three, going back up. It's the same thing. It is the same thing. So again, although it suffered greatly from invasions, it survived in the areas of Roman Britain that were not invaded by the Anglo-Saxons. That's your answer pretty much. So if we take this question right here, it survived in the areas of Roman Britain that were, that were not invaded by the Anglo-Saxons. Let's go back down. Christianity disappeared from Britain after the invasions. Hell no. Christianity did not survive in the areas not invaded by the Anglo-Saxons, did not survive in the areas not invaded, did not survive in the areas that were not invaded, it says here, it survived in the areas of Roman, class, Roman Britain that were not invaded. Now, again, it said it did not survive in the places that were not invaded. Here it says it survived. So B is a hell no. Get it? Now, here we go. It survived only in the areas not invaded by the Anglo-Saxons or survived only in, I'm sorry, it's basically the same thing, but at the end it said, but moved to Iona in 565 AD and important missionaries came from those areas. Would it be C or would it be D? For anyone who is obviously watching this, let me know. Again, go to my blog, thearseniobuckshow.com and you'll be able to see the answers very, very easily. Okay, it's all down there. All right, now, with that being said, let's go into number four. In paragraph number four, why does the author mention, oh, hell, this is a big, this is a huge word, the ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical, okay, ecclesiastical, ecclesiastical, there we go, correct stress on the syllable, okay, history, of the English people written by monk. I'm sorry, written by a monk, venerable Betty. God damn, what the hell is going on here? Paragraph four, why does the author mention that specific book written by the monk by the name of Venerable Bede? Oh, goodness gracious. Okay, here you go. Oh my God. A, because it sheds light on the invasions of the Anglo-Saxons in Britain. B, because it sheds light on the history of Britain between the sixth and eighth centuries. C, because it explains the work of the missionaries. And D, because it describes the rise of the Canterbury Church. I'm going to recite 
Paragraph number four out for you. Here we go. One important source of sixth to eighth century British history is the ecclesiastical history of the English people written by the monk, Venerable Bidet. In his work, he explains how Pope Gregory, Pope from 590 to 604 AD, sent a missionary called Augustine to England to found, to, to found major, to find major churches, to found major churches. I've never seen to found, it's to find major churches. Anyways, in London and York, Augustine met Ethler Bahu, I don't even know how to say that word, King of Kent in 597 AD, who gave him land in Canterbury to build a church. Thus, Canterbury became the main center for English Christianity. And Ethelbert, don't know if I butchered it, you give a damn, and Edwin, king of Northumbria, both converted to Christianity. What the hell is this even about? So let's go back down. Here we go. Why does he mention this? Now, does it shed light on the invasions, okay, of Anglo-Saxons in Britain because it sheds light on the history of Britain between six to eight centuries because it explains the work of missionaries or because it describes the rise of Canterbury Church. Now, I do not see the rise of Canterbury Church. Now, who gave him land in Canterbury to build a church? Nope, it's not to describe it. So goodbye, Canterbury. Now, what was the other one? Something about missionaries the work of missionaries. Really? So let's go here. Okay, missionary, 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 missionary. I didn't see one mention of missionary. Oh, he sent a missionary called Augustine to England to find some major churches in London and York. That's about it. That's what that's about. It's not the main reason why he mentioned the ecclesiastical history of the English people. So C, get the hell out of here. B, get the hell out of here. Basically, we have A and B because it sheds a light on the invasions of the Anglo-Saxons in Britain. Didn't see that. So the answer is B, because it sheds light on the history of Britain between the 6th and 8th centuries. Well, why? Well, the thing is, if we look here, 6th, 6th century, it, it, the, actually the 6th century begins in, <laughs> I love how Grammarly says century, C-E-N-T-R-E is incorrect. Take that, British! Anyways. I'm going to switch it. <laughs> okay, so anyways, sheds the light from 6th to the 8th centuries. Now, if you look here, obviously, we're talking about 590. That's in the 6th century. It goes into the 7th century, and I do not believe it goes into the 8th century unless it was mentioned, and I'm pretty sure I had said it. Yeah, well, actually, it's in the first sentence. It says, one important source of the 6th to 8th century British history is the classical history. There it is. So guys, so to break this down, to break down this question, sometimes we overanalyze, such as what I did. But to be honest with you, these answers are right in front of you. It's nothing like IELTS. Like, it's straightforward. If we read that first sentence, what important source of the 6th to 8th century, boom, that's it right there. We could take out, we could do the process of elimination, such as what I did with D and C. But when I went back and I actually found the answer and I'm like, oh, there it is. It's right before my eyes in the first five to seven to eight to nine words of the goddamn opening sentence of the paragraph. Sometimes we have a tendency of overanalyzing. So take a step back, say, you know what? Maybe it's right here in plain hindsight in front of my face, such as what just happened to me. Okay, there it is. That is your answer. So let's go into number five, which is going to be the last one of this video. Okay, people? 
Now, it says, according to paragraph number five, what happened in Britain after 595 AD? A, British was divided into several kingdoms, all dependent on one another. B, Britain was divided into several kingdoms, all independent. C, Britain was divided into several kingdoms and some remained independent. And D, Britain was united into one kingdom. Oh God, can you make it any more confusing? Here we go. Number five, Britain was now divided into the kingdoms of Gera, Yorkshire, Bernicia, North, South Saxons, Sussex, East Angles or Angles, East Ang Anglia. Yeah, so East Angles, that's what it has to be. East Anglia, West Saxons, Wessex, and Mercians in the Midlands. Cornwall, Devon, and Wells were independent, and in North Ireland, there were similar kingdoms. So there were three that were independent, okay? Right? And in Northern Ireland. There it is. There were smaller kingdoms. Some British kingdoms remained independent, including Cornwall. Blah, 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 blah. And yeah, so there it is. It says here, some British kingdoms remain independent. Britain was now divided into kingdoms. So if we go back down, people, Britain was divided into several kingdoms. It wasn't united into one kingdom. So D is absolutely, hello-lutely no, okay? A, it says Britain was divided into several kingdoms, all dependent on one another. Now, Britain was divided into several kingdoms and all independent. And Britain was divided into several kingdoms and some remained independent. So what is your answer? What you guys are going to do right after this video, you're going to complete the rest of them on the second page of my blog. You will see the answers. And again, comment on my blog. Let me know what you guys would like me to do in the next video. And again, I would go all the way through this, but guys, today I've got to run. I got myself a workout class this morning. So in saying that, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Again, yes, there is a Patreon badge featuring some coaching. $50 a month. Just want to put it out there because I know a lot of you have been asking me. So $50 a month, you get a whole bunch of things, including two hours of coaching as of right now, okay? Things may change. Uh, and if you need one-on-one -on -one coaching in regards to the speaking, the listening, the writing, whatever it may be, those are available too. So in saying that, people, thanks so much for tuning in to another wonderful TOEFL IBT reading and podcast. If you guys got any questions, let me know. Follow me on IG. Lots of great stuff. Arsenio's ESL podcast. Put that in on Google. Put that in on IG. You'll find it. Or you can follow my main page, The Arsenio Buck Show. Does not matter, man. I will be waiting for all of you. And stay tuned for more over and out.